Hey there, and welcome to episode 17 of the podcast. As always, thanks for listening in. Today, I'm really excited for my conversation with Vensi Krishna. During India's COVID surge in April 2021, Vensi designed an app to respond to the national emergency to connect people in need with scarce resources such as oxygen, hospital beds, and medicine. The app was highly successful, garnering 100,000 users in its first week and currently serves 400,000 users. What's really impressive is Vensi built a volunteer team of over 100 volunteers to help maintain and run this app. And due to the app's success, the government reached out to partner to increase the reach and impact of the app's work. Since the app's release, Vensi has been invited to speak at Google at the United Nations and has had other opportunities to speak to people about building apps with no code tools for crisis relief and to empower teams to use these tools to build important systems and applications quickly. Now I'm really excited for this episode. So let's jump right into my conversation with Vensi Krishna. All right. Hey there, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm here with Vensi Krishna. And Vensi is a lawyer and entrepreneur working at the intersection of law, technology, and business. She has been an educator in the legal education space in India since she was a teenager and has coached over 40,000 Indian lawyers through her work at Law School 101, which she built to be India's premier legal entrance portal. She currently works with a Silicon Valley-based educational company called Ondek, building the future of education. Now, during India's COVID surge in April 2021, Fancy designed an app to respond to the national emergency to connect people in need with scarce resources such as oxygen, hospital beds, and medicines. And the app was highly successful, garnering 100,000 users in its first week and currently serves 400,000 users. Due to the app's success, the government reached out to partner to increase the reach and impact of the app's work. Fancy is excited to share about her work, scaling a team of three to a team of 100 overnight, all while working completely remote and async, meaning no team meetings and no Zoom calls, and using no-code tools to build life-saving tools quickly, and the lessons she learned in launching an emergency response initiative during a humanitarian crisis. So, Vensi, hey, I'm excited to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Hey, Sean, really excited to talk to you about some of the work that we've been doing, one about the COVID resources app that I've built, and also just my learning using no-code tools. Yeah, I'm super excited for our conversation today. We were able to talk a little while ago about what you're doing, and since then, I've understood you've had some pretty cool opportunities to speak. I know you spoke at Google recently. Tell us a bit about that. That's a great question. So after we launched the app, we started seeing unexpected results right from day one. The number of users, celebrities like Priyanka Chopra tweeting support, politicians sharing our work in India, and two other experiences that were really unexpected for me, uh, what I'm really grateful for is one, being invited to speak at Google to their team. And the second one is actually speaking with the United Nations. So the thing with Google was that I got an email from them and it was actually the first time that I got an email from someone at Google and initially I thought it was spam. (laughs) So when I read through the email, I realized that they wanted me to speak to their team, uh, the global team, on setting up solutions that scale basically and best practices during a pandemic and how we could scale an emergency response. It was really humbling to be recognized by them, but it was also really promising that such big companies across the world are paying attention to local projects internationally, and they're very excited to learn from people across the world. And I really loved that about the conversation. And after this, I was actually approached by the United Nations to speak to their team on how no-code specifically, no-code tools can be leveraged during crises. This was the office for the coordination of humanitarian affairs. They are the crisis response team of the United Nations that respond during the global emergencies that we're seeing. 
So these were incredible experiences. I'm just really grateful to have had a chance to do the work that we've done. And really the goal was to, number one, do a really good job of what we were doing, but to also document the things that we were doing so that people in different places of, of the country and the world will be able to replicate that kind of work. And so to be able to speak at Google in the United Nations, I think that gave me a huge boost in the work that we're doing and, and inspired me to work harder. Wow, that's incredible. I imagine both of those experiences were probably pretty surreal, knowing that it was only several months ago since you launched this original project. And now you're kind of being able to share with it on a really large scale. So I'm very excited. And I'm, I'm very excited that more people are hearing about the work that you're doing and are being equipped to do things of their own. So let's jump into the podcast today. I mean, I referenced a little bit about this project and this app that you've built. But tell us, like, prior to launching this app, like, what were you what were you up to? And what were you doing prior to building the app in response to the, the COVID pandemic? I'm actually a lawyer by training. And I've actually been working in the education space for quite some time now. And before the crisis in India started, in until March this year, I was actually leading India growth for the LSAC. LSAC is the body that hosts the LSAT worldwide. Yeah. I was helping them with India growth. In March, actually, I applied to OnDeck and started my job there. I was started working in the candidates team as a candidate operations lead. And I basically lead the candidate cycle for about half of our programs. And now I'm leading the sectors program. So I'll talk to you a little bit about what OnDeck is later. But this is what I was doing when the crisis hit. I was one month into my job. And right before the job, I had also done a no-code fellowship at OnDeck, which actually exposed me to a bunch of no-code tools and gave me a little bit of insight on what tools were good for what. And so even though I hadn't really extensively built an app or a project using these tools, I, I knew their capabilities. So this was where I was positioned right before the crisis hit in April. And then in April, what happened was the number of uh, cases, COVID cases in India started rising exponentially because, of course, we know now that it was the Delta variant that caused it. And uh, because of our crumbling infrastructure, we lost access to oxygen and life-saving resources almost overnight and across the country. It was not limited to different pockets. So what happened after that was people were, so of course, if you needed oxygen, you would, you would expect to get it in a hospital, but no hospital had it anymore. So people started circulating lists of providers of manufacturers directly of oxygen and, and these uh, important medicines that hospitals no longer had a stock of. And uh, these lists were essentially in the form of Google Sheets and uh, mostly. And then, of course, there were a bunch of WhatsApp shares and all of this started happening in April. And the reason that was really important for me and, and I was keeping a close eye on that is because exactly around that time, my mom fell sick with the virus. And she was not asymptomatic. So my mother and my brother both got it. My brother was largely asymptomatic. My mother's lungs were severely infected. And it was around the time that hospital beds were disappearing across the country. And so the, the, the tough decision was that she would stay at home and take the medicines at home and hope that everything would be okay. And fortunately for us, she did respond to the treatment and she did get better over the next few weeks. But when the crisis was unfolding, I was keenly aware that we were one of the fortunate few and uh, was paying attention to what was happening. I realized that the situation was bad because the hospital beds were scarce in April. But to see everything crumble almost overnight over a span of like two days, that was horrifying to watch. This was my life right before the app was launched, right before we started working on the app. I love what you said about at least you even had just an, a working knowledge of these tools. You didn't necessarily have the experience of building in one of these apps, but I love hearing that you just knew of the capabilities of specific ones. And it almost was like you had uh, some some tools around you that you knew were available. And then in the wake of a 
crisis and emergency, both very close to you, right, with your family, but then around the around your city and around around India, that you were able to respond. Tell us about. I mean, this kind of culminates in in an evening, right, where you're sitting in front of a, I'm assuming, a laptop or a computer, and you're seeing these Google Sheets fly around and these WhatsApp chats. It seems to be some discontent that this isn't. That's not the solution, right? Like these are helpful. Really, you know, people are taking time to put together these resources, but it seems like you understood there was something that else that needed to be done. Tell us about that night that you you built the app. Great question. So we launched the app in like two hours. That's that's the time that it took for me to design it and publish it. <laughs> really, that was <laughs> the first version that was launched. So what happened uh, on April? So what started happening on April 19th, 20th, that those couple of days is that the number of Google Sheets and the lists and these forwards and a huge number of pleas and requests for help, they were increasing. And because I was already in a really bad place, until then, my response was to sort of like tune it out because I was like, you know, there's this, what can I do about it? You know, can I, can I, can I help my mom in the best way possible? So until then, my mental state was, I'm not sure what I can do about this. And, and I hope that, you know, everyone gets better soon. But to see the number of lists asking for the same medicines that I was seeing get scarce because my mom was using some of them to see the same hospital beds that we were struggling with. Uh, so to see thousands struggle with the same thing that we struggled with. So something changed in those two days because I realized that this was not a problem anymore was a crisis and that it was going to shape millions of people across the country for a very long time to come. So that realization really hit in those two days because that was exactly the week in which our healthcare collapsed. All the hospitals and all the resources started um, getting evaporated by the minute and then there was nothing that the government could do to help. So we started hearing some nightmare stories. It was really bad until then, but it, it took a whole new turn in those two days. That was when I started paying a little more attention to, to, to just understand what was the extent of the problem. So that was when I saw these Google Sheets. So until then, it was largely WhatsApp forwards. And you know that you need to tune out WhatsApp at some point in your day. I mean, whether, a, whether there's a crisis or not, right? But when I started seeing the Google Sheets, that is when it hit me. Because... Through my fellowship, like I said, there were a bunch of tools that I saw and I was familiar with as to what they could do and what they were capable of. And I knew of tools that would easily sort of convert a Google Sheet into an app. Now, by easy, I mean they, are, they don't take too long, they do not need you to code, and they are cheap. And those are all the requirements that I had as a non-coder. And I have no traditional experience or training in, 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 in tech or coding. And therefore, there was no way in which I could contribute to this crisis except through no code because it empowered me to create these solutions quickly. And quickly being the keyword right now, uh, here, because that was, that was what people needed, very quick, responsive solutions on the ground. This was what was uh, going on in my mind. The moment I saw that Google Sheet, I realized that it could be made into an app. Number one, that I could do it. And number two, that I should do it. Because I was empowered with this knowledge in the last few months. And I knew that I had to use it. So one was that it could be done in a much better way. It could be made more efficient and more user-friendly and uh, really like help people that we could reach. The other thing was that I realized that I was uniquely positioned to do something like this that other people might not have been able to do. So it felt really like I was put in that position because if the same crisis had happened a few months before, I know that I could not have responded in the way that I did. So it just felt serendipitous that I had this opportunity of like stepping in and probably creating a solution that could scale. In, in that moment, I just knew that I had to act. I did not know if people would adopt it. I did not know if we would get users. I just knew that the solution that was being rolled out was not working. It would not work. It was not scalable. And that it could be made more efficient. And that because I knew how to do it, I had to do it. 
So the problem with Google Sheets really is that number one, they they're not meant to be used for like as a call to action. It's it's like they, they can be incredibly cluttered. The design is not very pleasing. And the more important thing here is that the number of records, the number of items on these lists would be more than hundreds for each city, uh, right? And some of them were verified, some of them were fake. So there is no meaningful way in which you could really like make sense of all of this data, especially during a pandemic, an emergency situation when people do not have the time to be thinking on, you know, whether it's right or how, how can they reach all these hundred people? You can't expect them to ring every one of those numbers and, and hope that they could get those resources, right? So that is the number one problem with Google Sheets is that it's not meant for solutions like this. That's number one. And uh, number two is that there needs to be, uh, I believe that the users around a time like this, I believe that you know, you know, user experience was extremely critical in providing the right kind of response and answers and resources to the people in need. And Google Sheets is not meant for it. It's not cut out for it. Any list making tool for that matter, even Notion. I love Notion, but there are limits to what Notion can do. So there was a better way in which we could provide user experience. And the tool of my choice, I chose Glide. So Glide apps is actually the tool that um, I'm, I, I basically use in all my no-code workshops. I actually host workshops where I teach people to get started with no code and I help them build their very first app in one hour and launch it at the end of the workshop. So that is actually how I came across Glide. So I had no, I did not have any experience launching any app on Glide at that point of time. It was my first ever Glide app, but I had actually taken a workshop a few weeks before the crisis introducing a, a, a Canadian university to no code and, and helping those students actually design an emergency response app. And then during that workshop, I chose Glide. And that workshop was actually about human trafficking. It was not about the pandemic or health necessarily, but it was about how we could use the power of no code to respond to like real social issues. So that gave me a very little insight on how this could be done in, in terms of how the data could be structured. So I had a very vague outline. But more importantly, I knew that that tool would be like the best solution right now. So I chose Glide and uh, we built that app. We built our app on Glide and, and we still continue to use it. It scaled really well. So on day one, we had 20,000 users. The moment I saw that, I was definitely terrified because it was a no-code solution and I had no idea if Glide was going to be able to support us or not, but it scaled yeah. so well. Wow. We'd never had any issues with uh, any of our users using this particular app. Now, a little bit more about what we what, what was going on in the first day. So there was one list on Excel, so on, on Google Sheets, that is, that was being circulated for my city. And I knew the person who had designed it. So all I did was I texted her on, on Insta saying, hey, I'm using your data. I'm actually designing an app. <laughs> I promise you it's going to be, it's going to look much better than the Google sheet. So I built the app in two hours, connected it to this Google sheet that was created. And all I did had no time for branding, had no time for design, couldn't be done. So all I did was I bought the domain. That was all I did. And I also set up a Google analytics integration because I wanted to see what pages people were coming back to so that we could focus a little more on that data, right? So I thought that I wanted the app to be data-driven. So those are the only two things I could do. I had no time whatsoever. And I set that up. Took, the whole process took two hours, the first version, essentially. I think it, has, it had three pages, not much information at all. Three pages and the domain and no promotion. Just shared it on my Instagram and shared it on Twitter. That's all we did. Uh, so just amongst family and friends, really. Hey, there's, a, there's an app that we built. Want to check it out? And I took a nap because I was working all night at that point at work. And I took a nap for a few hours. The moment I woke up, we had 10,000 users. That was when I realized that my life was not going to be the same 
for a while and that there are there's a huge number of people who needed help and they were relying on this app for answers and help and comfort at a time of serious need so that was the day that i knew that this app was going to need a lot of more work and a lot of more people to support the users and user experience so this was how the app started <laughs> yeah i imagine you waking up from that nap you must have felt like equally you know satisfied in some way that hey this is working and it's being useful and then like that oh crap we have a lot more work to do now <laughs> well honestly the predominant emotion that i had when i see when i saw that number on screen was of i was terrified the fear was my predominant ex- ex- emotion because i had no idea what to do in a very real sense because i mean i had not launched a project which exploded in that way before especially during an emergency right and that the fact that thousands of people relied on a solution that i built and with no programming experience and you know i'm essentially a no coder and so i it was probably motivated by sort of an imposter syndrome of like am i supposed to be the person doing it but it was it was i was it was terrifying it sort of still is right now the surge has sort of like died down and we can take a break right now we we did work on it for like a good 3 months continuously and it was a source of terror to to realize every day that there were thousands of people who were relying on this work on this little app that was launched with no expectations but just to help maybe a few people and to realize that they started to rely on us in in such a deep way that was uh, really scary but also at the same time i was grateful to be doing that work because i knew that somebody had to step up somebody had to take up the work that we were doing and just really grateful that i got a chance to work on it with my team yeah so before we jump into kind of how you empowered others to come alongside you and work on this together and even you know support the other cities in india that were saying hey we we actually we need this help as well tell us a little bit about like i imagine you're beginning to hear stories of how people were using this app to access medicine hospital beds resources vaccines what kind of stories were you hearing about at this time and you know how were you beginning to like realize the impact of the app so when we launched the app it was primarily focused on a limited number of resources so we we launched it with oxygen hospital beds pharmacies and ambulances that was it. it was a very limited list but right from the first few hours uh, it became clear that people were not only using up these resources but also they needed uh, much more support in the form of people were were running out of food they wanted to know where to get their food from there were huge lockdowns in various parts of the country so everything was frozen for a while so one was they wanted sources to get food from because they were too sick to cook for themselves in their homes so we had to add meal services we also added a bunch of free meal service providers because they were these amazing people who stepped up around, around the time and started making free meals for people who were affected by covid or had loved ones who were affected by covid and they just started distributing meals for free so we had an entire section listed especially for them and then there were these people who were just making extra meals while they were cooking for themselves at home and they started just using our app to list their services and they started distributing free food as well so this is one way in which people were using the app so one was that users were benefiting from some of these resources but on the supply side many people stepped up and listed their services their volunteering efforts to help people in need the other set of things that we started adding later in the next few days were quarantine centers for people who wanted to uh, stay away and and quarantine themselves in a different place from than than their homes providing so services that were providing at home care for elders and and sick people then came a request for a whole 
new sort of service providers. So people were suffering extremely from all the news and, and all the horror stories of what was happening and nobody's mental health was okay. And so mental health practitioners and therapists started volunte volunteering their services and they, a bunch of them came to us and requested us to list them on the app. So we built a mental health section. Then a bunch of people who were offering pet boarding services for animals whose parents, whose pet parents were affected by COVID and couldn't, couldn't take care of them for a while. So they stepped up and they volunteered their services. And uh, the most de de depressing service that we had to list, really, I think we did that on day two or day three, was after death services because of how many people were dying. There was just not enough place. In India, we usually cremate them. Burial, so crema cremation is more common than burial here. So there was not enough crematoriums, all the machines that we use to cremate bodies, they burnt up because of how many people died and they weren't working anymore. And so we needed a bunch of people to volunteer services to help the after death process. And of course that, that meant burial, cremation and all of that, but also offering support to their loved ones in the form of counseling, grief counseling, and also other matters of will and succession, that, that kind of thing. So that was the most depressing section really is just uh, the toll it took on our team to build all of this, I think was 50% on the after death services just because of how depressing all of that work was. And it went on for weeks. And I can tell you that none of our mental states on the team were okay for, for many months after that i i can imagine or i can't imagine one other set of people that we managed to help and, and managed to attempt to support were so we added a section called women child and lgbtqia support so this this were a set of people and government agencies who stepped up to support members of marginalized communities vulnerable communities who needed a little more help and support during a crisis like this. On the children's side, what was happening was that there were parents who died of COVID and somebody needed to adopt them. And a bunch of, it was very messy at that time. And of course, women were facing increased, increasing domestic abuse. So uh, vulnerable groups needed a little more help. And uh, in a couple of weeks, we started supporting um, that kind of work as well. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like you're, team was had to be very very you know acutely aware and sensitive to all of the needs surrounding the virus and so tell us about how you built this team especially a team that was asynchronous and all leaning in to support this in various ways how did you, you essentially said overnight you had to go from you to a team of 100 tell us about that how did that how did that happen? How did you empower these people and how did you work together to, to really continue to de develop and build this app? Yeah. So on day one, when I looked at the numbers of, of how many people were using the app, that became very clear to me that this effort needed to serve more people and to serve them in more ways than in the ways that I might have anticipated initially. And therefore it needed a bigger team that could do everything that was needed. The interesting part about it was that I did not exactly, usually an app that has so many users and, and so, much, so many demands, you'd expect that it would need a technical team. You'd want a tech team leading the build and, and the growth and everything. That's the interesting part about it here is that because it was primarily no code, we did not need a team of engineers or developers to step in at all. So the way that I was looking at it was, so even when I chose Glide, the reason I chose Glide specifically was because it was linked to Google Sheets. And that meant that not only was it easy to work with and quick to, to launch um, new versions and quick to update, but the other factor there was that it was also accessible. 
that meant that I did like anybody on the team, not just me, but even if we scaled to like a bigger team, I did not imagine that we would go to hundred people. Definitely. When I launched it, I thought if like two or three more people joined the team, then they should be empowered to edit the app without having to wait for me, without having to wait for a tech team. Right. I did not want a specific person or a set of people to have monopoly over the app's development or the app's features. And so that was an important reason why Glide worked perfectly was because anybody can use Google Sheets, right? And anybody can make sense of how that app would be structured because we ended up creating like a very, very complex build. It probably might not have been very intuitive on how the Google Sheets were structured because we had like 20 or 30 like different tabs in that Google Sheet after yeah. a certain time. But if somebody needed to update the app quickly with like new information from on the field, they could do that from their phones, yeah. right? And it will yeah. show up on the app to all the thousands of yeah. users that we yeah. have. Instantly. Yeah. Instantly. Exactly. Yeah. And nobody had to like click on update now or go to the app store and, and update the app. None of that had to be done. It was a progressive web app. So it was easy for the users to update data to get real-time data. It was also easy for the team to update it themselves without having to wait for a team to, I don't know, approve changes or like wake up and like sit and like make all those updates. <laughs> it would happen in real time. And that was the most important reason why I believe no-code scales during emergencies especially is because people who were otherwise not empowered to build solutions can now step up and create their own answers to problems that are plaguing them locally. So the way we went about scaling the team was, so technical expertise was not a barrier. Anybody could sign up. And so we were already, because so many celebrities had already tweeted and shared about us on Instagram at that point, we were already getting a lot of interest from people who wanted to come and support us. They were like, we're feeling too you know, suffocated, sitting at home, not being able to do anything while our people suffer. Could we help you in any way? And so I realized that that was the best way of going about it is that we, we expand the team, train them on how this is done. And so they could step up and they could contribute in any way they can at any time they could. And definitely come up with new ideas that they could build on themselves. So this was how it started. And because we had already had a bunch of interest on Instagram saying that they were interested in joining, I actually am incredibly grateful for the one month of work that I had done at OnDeck at that point of time, because that was the best model that I saw of running a remote team across different time zones, completely async. Right. So I learned the best practices on how to do it from our Slack, from our notion, and essentially in the way our team operated, everyone respects everyone's time. Everyone uh, works asynchronously. And I know that that is not probably very common in different teams, but we get a bunch of stuff done every single day without any meetings at all. Right. So I knew that that was possible. And because there were so many people in me, it was important that we onboarded and every volunteer that we could get and that they, because they had a full-time job, they could not do this full-time. They had to be empowered to contribute in their own time and uh, in, the, in their own way. So it was very important that the work was very clearly defined. We had a very clear-cut information wiki, knowledge base. And then we also had a bunch of videos explaining on how different stuff is done. So when they wanted to do it, they all, they had all the information that they needed. They had all the resources and tools they needed to get the job done. So I learned all of that from my time at OnDeck. And I'm a huge Notion fan. I'm also a Notion ambassador, incidentally. And so by that time, I had been using Notion for a bunch of projects already. And so Notion was my tool of choice for the knowledge base. Everything that I had done to build that app I sat, like I spent many hours, additional hours, just documenting it in the first week. And that is what helped us scale. So those additional couple of hours when I was doing stuff, I just recorded myself using Loom and I made documentation so that the next set of people who would come onto the team would be able to use them going forward. So I recorded a bunch of Loom videos, wrote a few textual information 
points, key points. And I put it up on Notion, designed a workspace and essentially set up an onboarding system on Airtable using Zapier. So this was our no-code stack. And we started triggering. So whenever somebody applied as a volunteer, that was a Google form that would come onto our Airtable. And then we would trigger emails to them and, and give them details on, on how they could join the team and, and what work they could do. And so that was how we set it up. Uh, it took like three days for me to set it all up because I wanted it, I wanted, I wanted it to, uh, I wanted to get it right. And I wanted to make sure that everyone was empowered starting day one and that everyone's time would be used efficiently. So I spent about two or three days actually building the no-code infrastructure to support such a huge team and such a huge endeavor. And then all we had to do was onboard them. So overnight, our team scaled to 100 people and we did not have any Zoom meetings. We did not have any team calls. Everyone had their own teams. Every team had their own leads. So, there, so oxygen was a category that was headed by someone ambulances, mental health. So all of these categories had their own two or three team leads and they were leading their teams of 10 to 15 people. So it all came together and uh, we were all working remotely and asynchronously. Wow. Okay. So yeah, it's absolutely incredible. I think just to reiterate, essentially you're building a, a system with a stack of tools that probably cost roughly under a hundred dollars, right? You know, you're mentioning Glide, Notion, Airtable, Zapier and Integromat, some of these things. And you are essentially empowering a team of 100 people to work asynchronously without a development team that could potentially hold up or delay any of these things. I think this one makes sure we all, we all hear that. <laughs> so I think there's people listening who may have ideas, right? And they're thinking there are probably a million things that are getting in the way of me getting that thing across. And I think it's important to say that these ideas are probably more possible than you think they are. And especially from a cost perspective, there's very little barriers to here aside from using, using these tools creatively. So in the no-code space, I hear one of these notorious things that I hear is like documentation is usually lacking when it comes to building solutions, either for clients, for yourself, for teams. And you kind of put together this really well-documented system Tell us about, I know other people began to reach out in terms of other cities out, outside of your own looking to implement some of these solutions. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, I imagine you have this, you know, library of documentation that you're using for your team and that made it very, uh, very not easy, but it presented an opportunity to, to train and teach others. Yeah. So because of how much attention we were able to garner in the first few days, there was huge interest from different parts of our country reaching out, asking us to scale to other cities like Bangalore and, and Chennai, Mumbai. As we, we got so many requests from so many different villages and towns across the country. And right from day one, however, it was very clear to me that I wanted to limit the scope of the project that we were doing. So like I said, the first thing that I wanted to make sure that we did was we did what we did really well. It was going to be limited, but we're going to give it our best shot. And we were going to do the best job that we could in the limited scope that we had defined for ourselves. That was goal number one. And goal number two was to essentially empower everyone in any other place across the country or the world to learn from what we did so that they could replicate these solutions for their own cities and towns. So I believe that the best response during an emergency came locally because you are the best person to answer your local problems. You are the best person who can design solutions that respond to the problems that you and your community are facing. And the problems that I might be facing in Hyderabad are not going to be the same that other cities are facing, or maybe there's a different nuanced way in which we uh, approach it. But that brings me back to the accessibility of development process, right? The way I was keen on making sure that my team could update the app, I wanted to make sure that such solutions were, were accessible 
and made sure that they were they could be updated by people on the ground so it was very clear to me that the scope of the project that i was leading was going to be limited to hyderabad we are not going to scale it but we're going to provide the best dam solution there is to our city but we're going to show you for free give you all the resources all the training all the skills that you need to replicate the same model for your city as well and so all you needed to do was take 2 hours of your time and build it with a team of your own right so that was the way in which we ap- approached it because the kind of work that we were doing it was really a huge project that took a huge toll on all of us but also there is limits to what a team of even 100 people can do for one city and so it's not practic- practical to expect one team to serve effectively millions of people across the country it was just not practical because we would just not have the bandwidth in the time that was given so i felt that local solutions to local problems should be encouraged so what we did there was in the first week in addition to building the app and onboarding the new team and setting up these processes i also hosted a 2 hour webinar on exactly how we built the whole thing so that people from other cities could attend it and see if they would want to build a team of their own for their own cities right 5000 people attended that <laughs> and then a huge number of applications were created after that session and i documented all of that on my twitter it was incredible um how many people took the initiative so just goes on to prove your point that ideas are what matter the re- moment you realize that there are tools that make your ideas possible you're just going to start building you would not need any more push yeah yeah i i love it i i think there's definitely people who have the ideas and i think equipped with a few tools that they can leverage and really help to make their idea possible and then on the flip side people who have a working knowledge of the tools that we're discussing here and other tools have the opportunity to work on some projects that can really make a a big impact around their communities around the world. So what opportunities does no code provide for future crises that we see in the world? There's things even this week that are we're seeing in the in the news that people are in, in, in dire need of support. And what opportunities are there for those who are looking to make a, a social impact? So far, the accessibility of knowledge on programming and essentially like tech solutions building apps and websites and tools for yourself because it was quite time consuming and the number of people who knew these programming languages were limited so the number of social projects that could be addressed that could be started were limited because the amount of time and money that you spend in learning all of these programming not these programming languages you want to return on that investment and you are likely to want to monetize it and therefore social projects might not be one of your priorities and that's completely understandable however with the advent of no code what is happening is because this knowledge of building tools and apps is being democratized to people who were otherwise not very much served by tech so far we are now hearing of problems that we haven't heard of before because more people like me now have ideas to solve those problems but also the knowledge to actually implement those solutions so i believe not only for crises but anyone who has an idea profitable or non-profit there are three important reasons why no code really changes the game for us So the first thing is that it is cheap like you very rightly pointed out our entire tech stack actually cost definitely less than $100 our biggest cost actually was our slack plan because of how many people <laughs> we had on the team but our biggest expense was slack really speaking everything else was definitely affordable i mean i would say that compared to like hiring an entire team of developers a no code solution is definitely going to be more affordable for any team whether it is a social impact team or a, a for profit company the second thing is that no code is easy by which i mean that it is more intuitive so when you spend enough time it's more likely that you will understand it 
even if you do not have any background in tech so far, as opposed to, let's say, parsing through lines of code and not understanding what it says at all, and therefore having to rely on someone to do it for you. So it is easy for non-coders because you are able to do things that you've never been able to do before. But even for coders, it's so easy to set things up that would have otherwise taken you hours or even days before. Because no-code is essentially visual development. You, It's basically a higher level of abstraction where uh, blocks of code are already written for you. And you're essentially working on the final logic. You're not spending too much time on the build itself, right? So you're focusing, a mo focusing more on the logic and uh, it is definitely more exciting and less tedious than writing lines of code, pages and pages of code, that is. And finally, no-code makes a lot of things um, accessible, things that were not uh, very accessible before, including the programming knowledge itself of how to build the tool, but also things like progressive web apps. When you build these apps in a place like India, which is Android first, we're not Apple first. So it's, it was important for our app to work on all devices, whether it was a smartphone or an Apple phone or phone that would only support a browser or even a computer. And a progressive web app was the best solution that we could. And I was so glad that Glide actually offered that exact solution that we needed, right? So I think that in a lot of ways, no-code makes solutions accessible, not only in the, on, on the developer end for people who had no idea how to build things, but also for users who will now have much better experiences, much better onboarding and user experiences, just because there's so many more people who can build better solutions now. And we're not relying on a very limited set of people who can or who have the knowledge to build these things anymore. So I think those are the three opportunities that we have from no code, especially for social impact, just because it is possible now. There's also in a place like On Deck, we have a huge no code stack. My entire job, in fact, uh, revolves around no-code infrastructure that we use very heavily for our candidates' cycles and also internal communications. So it gives us a lot of opportunities and a lot of things to think about. And I'm very excited for this space in the next few months. Awesome. Yeah, that's in in incredibly well said. From every angle, there are this space is just opening up opportunities for for people who traditionally were left out of being able to build these solutions. And now they are able to come in and do things that are impressive on the, are going to impress the development teams, right? <laughs> How are you able to build this so fast, so affordably? There's incredible opportunities here. And I'm excited to see even in this next uh, few years to see where this space develops. Vetsy, th thank you so much for your time. I'm really appreciative that you're able to share these things. I know you have a lot going on both with OnDeck and with these projects that in, in speaking opportunities that you have. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? And if someone wants to find and connect with you online, learn more about what you're doing, learn maybe more about these no-code tools and how they can use them, where can they find you? I'm a big believer in building in public, which is to say that I document everything that I do publicly. And I'm available on Twitter. That's where I'm most active uh, when it comes to social media. You can search for me on Twitter at Vensi Krishna. That's my handle. I'm also active on Instagram. Same handle, Vensi Krishna. Something else that I wanted to share with you was that I love teaching and I love talking to people who want to build these things and just get started with no code because I see myself in them and just the number of opportunities that this field has given me and the kind of projects that I was able to do because of uh, my learning in this field. So I do take workshops very regularly for different teams, but to sort of make that knowledge and make those tutorials freely accessible, I've started something called the No Code Starter Kit. So it's available at nocodestarterkit.com. But as I build it, I do post updates and whole not lot of information on my Twitter. So my Twitter will be like the best place to follow uh, about me and my work and all the projects that I release. Awesome. Very cool. I definitely suggest following Vensi on Twitter. That's how I came across your work and love everything that you, you do there. I'll include all the links that you shared 
to the no code starter kit, to the projects that you're you're working on, to your social media accounts, as well as on deck. If anyone wants to take a look at on deck, there's been a few mentions of on deck on previous episodes too. So there's a, a really cool community building there. And that's definitely worth checking out. But Vensi, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was really a joy to talk to you today. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you continue to work on and build. Thank you so much for having me, Sean, and giving me a chance to talk about the work that I've been doing. All right. Well, I hope you liked that conversation with Vensi Krishna. And if you're interested in learning more about what we talked about on this episode, when it comes to building with no-code tools, serving your community through these ways, and even building volunteer teams around your apps or platforms to help you know, respond to crises in ways that kind of Vensi did, definitely connect with Vensi. And recently, I saw that she has a goal for this last quarter of 2021, if you're listening live, to teach 100 people no code to help them launch their first app. It's completely free training and she'll be able to, through this program, walk you through building your first no code app. So if you're inspired by this episode, this is definitely a really, really good opportunity to learn from Vensi and jump in completely free. So definitely take advantage of that. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you liked what you heard, just hit the subscribe button in your app. I'd love for you to get notified when new episodes are released. And if you've been listening for a little while, it'd be so good if you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes and let me know what you think of the show. That really helps us grow the reach of this show. And we really want to empower more people with conversations like these, helping them build tools, applications, launch startups in the social impact space. So that would be really, really helpful. But again, thanks for listening and I'll see you next week. 